Amen. Thank you, Ben. That was incredible. All right. So if you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter or we get there, uh, I want us to do a quick thing. Are you all right with a quick thing? Depends. That's a really good answer, whoever said that. Um, so what we are trying to work on here is really trying to value our children's ministry. I know a lot of you guys are college students. Kids are not on your radar, which I'm grateful for. They should not be. Um, but because of that, sometimes we glance over just the value of kids and our role in discipling kids as a church. So I'm going to pull my pastor card here for a second. You have no option at this, okay? If you don't do what I'm about to ask you to do, I'm sorry, bad things are coming your way, all right? I have that kind of power. So if you're standing, sitting on this row right here, in a second, what I'm going to get you to do, we, I saw this done at soccer ever since I wanted to do it, is y'all are going to like reach across, stand up, reach across the aisle, touch hands, and we're going to make an aisle, and the kids are going to run through, and when they run through, you go crazy, all right? Blake in the back, I mean, I'm talking take your shirt off, walk it around your head, just celebrate these kids. Don't do that. That's like, don't do that. Uh, don't record that either, Caleb. Cut that part. That's like, take your shirt off for kids. Don't do that. Nope. It's not what I meant. All right. Are we good? So I'm going to call the kids up here. We're going to pray over them. And when we dismiss them, y'all at center aisle are going to make this tunnel. We're going to go crazy. They're going to go to children's church. Sound good? All right. Kiddos, come up here. Everybody give them a round of applause. Come here, kiddos. Come hop up on the stage, little ones. How are you? Come here, you homeless hobo with no shoes. That's my child. How are you? You just get up here. You rock it. So we just wanted to tell everyone. Can y'all wave at everyone? Yeah. Where's Auburn? She's skipping? What a PK. That's what she wants. So we love you guys. We value you guys. Is it okay if I say a quick prayer for you before you go to Children's Church? Is that cool? Is that cool, Carolee? All right. Oh, well, there's a few more coming. Emerson, you want me to hold you? Okay. Oh. Oh, all right, you can, you can go. All right. <laughs> that backfired. So, church, would you join me in praying over them, and then we're going to dismiss them? Sound good? Cool, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these children you have in front of us. Uh, God, thanks for what they represent, that they are the future of the church, they're the future of your gospel getting out. Um, so we just pray this morning, as we have incredible volunteers that are teaching them the word and loving on them, um, that you're softening their hearts to the things of the gospel and the, your truths and your love. Uh, Father, would you, pray, or would you give us as parents the wisdom and discernment into how to teach and mold them into who you would have them to be? Uh, thank you for allowing us to shepherd these young souls, and we're excited to see what you'll do with their future. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so as you guys dismiss, we're going to have something fun for you. You ready? You ready, Finley? All right, y'all get to run through the tunnel as you go to church. Ready? Greg, you want to start? Oh. <laughs> oh! <laughs> go! You can run. Run through there. No? Okay. 
You want to run through the tunnel? You want to run? No? All right. It's all right. You can walk around that way. Is that okay? <laughs> Thank you guys so much. That was awesome. All right. Uh, so Joshua 9 is where we're going to be. Was that not fun or what? My church never did that for me growing up, and I wish they would have. All right. <laughs> How do we transition back to like, oh, Bible. Um, Joshua chapter 9 is where we're going to be. We are halfway through the Joshua series. Um, So this morning our goal was to cover chapter 9 all the way through chapter 10, verse 28. So we've got a lot to cover. Uh, But here's the theme. As as we're halfway through the text, the book of Joshua so far, here's what we should start to see. There's three main themes that have developed. So you'll be seeing them in every text we preach uh, you'll, you'll, if you go back, you'll have already seen them and you'll continue to see them. Is the first that we've seen God's faithfulness show up. Isn't that right? Um, so if you go all the way back to Joshua chapter 1, um, here's what God told Joshua. That no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being very careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded them. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So we've seen this in every story, in every chapter, in every verse that we've read. God's faithfulness has shown up over and over and over again. But the thing about God's faithfulness that we've seen, it's not necessarily looking forward, but it's looking back. God is constantly asking us to look back and say, remember what I told you. I'm still good on my promises. I'm still good on what I swore to you. Trust me. Be be strong. Be very courageous. Keep going. The second theme that we've seen all throughout the book of Joshua so far um, is God's sovereignty on display. And I know sovereignty can just be a big word. So here's maybe the shortest definition I could come up with. Sovereignty means that there's no limit to God's rule. There's nothing, literally nothing that God cannot do. So we've seen God's sovereignty on display over and over and over again. We saw the walls of Jericho fall, and we've seen the river parted. We've seen God's sovereignty at hand. There's nothing that he cannot do for his people. And this morning, we're going to see even drastic measures of God's sovereignty on display. But lastly, we've seen God's justice, that God cannot leave sin unpunished. And it's not an unjust thing for God to punish sin. It would actually be the opposite. If sin didn't really matter, if sin could just be looked over, if it didn't have true ramifications, then would God be a true, loving, just God? Dylan pointed out last week, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So for us, we've probably used that to witness. We've heard that scripture before. But our place in redemptive history, meaning we are post-Jesus' death on the cross, we have a pretty full display of the gospel. We skip over that first part, that the wages of sin is death. That means nothing to us because we understand that Christ has saved us, Christ has redeemed us. But this point in redemptive history, before Jesus, they only saw foreshadows of that. So the wages of sin is death is a true reality that God will judge sinners. And we have to watch that. We see that on full display. So as we continue this series for the next six weeks or so, 
We're going to see these three themes continue to be developed, that God is faithful, that God is sovereign, and that God is just. And we'll see all three of those on display this morning. Now, as we're getting ready for this, as I was studying the scripture, there's this instance that came to my mind. Um, Daniel and I were at the hospital, I don't know, four or five months ago, visiting a branch member, having just this honest conversation about me, um, because here's just my cards on the table. Here's where I'm at. Um, I understand God's justness and his wrath and his hatred of sin. I just don't understand the other side of it. Here's what I mean. Romans 6, 4 puts it this way that we were buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that we just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in a newness of life. So I get the fact that I was buried with Christ in baptism. I'm my worst critic. You don't have to tell me. There's been very few times in my life where someone has brought up something like, hey man, you need to work on this, you need to change this, that I was blindsided by that. I'm fully aware of all my weaknesses and all my shortcomings, and I constantly am beating myself over and over and over for those. So when it comes to the things of the gospel, I I most of the time stand on this side, that I'm buried with Christ in baptism, that because of my sin, the wages of sin is death, that I sit in that and I mourn in that, but I don't know that I've ever really gotten good at walking to the other side, but, but I have a new life in Christ, that the old Gabe is gone, that, that I am a new creation. So those sins, those things that have put me over here, Christ died for that, so now I can walk in this new freedom that I have in Christ. But most of the time I live on this side of the life. I'm continually beating myself. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but, but did he really die for me? Did he really die for that sin? Like, I've done that same sin over and over and over again. Isn't there some limit where God just goes, all right, that's enough? Like, I I can only forgive you a certain amount of times you just hit your quota. So I very scarcely walk over to this newness of life, walking in freedom, walking in confidence with Jesus. And what we're going to see this morning is Joshua has that temptation. He has the ability to stay over on this side of the equation. But he chooses something. He chooses God, and everything for him starts to change that his sin, that his blunders actually turned into massive blessings for the nation of Israel. So let us pray this morning, and then we'll dive right into chapter 9, verse 1. Father, we're so grateful for just this church. Father, we're grateful for all the kids that are here learning about you. We're grateful that we have an opportunity to come here and study your word and let it read our mail. Father, we just pray that, that we would see the confidence that Joshua has in you. That even though there is sin, even though there are shortcomings, Father, we have a new identity that is you, that is in Christ. So, Father, for those in the room that have just beating ourselves up over and over and over again, that have not walked fully in the newness of life that you have for us, Father, would we see that this morning? And would you lead us uh, back to your cross, back to your truths? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Joshua chapter 9, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. 
As soon as the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland along the coast of the great seas towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, someone give me a raise for getting all those right, uh, heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So just a quick recap. We saw Israelites defeated Jericho, the walls fell. Um, We saw that there was some sin of Achan that hindered their initial loss to Ai. Uh, but then they came back in force after they made a covenant with God and, and they just destroyed AI. So now at this point, the, their reputation is getting around. Their kings are starting to hear of what's happening. And, and honestly, they're getting terrified. They're, they're afraid of, hey, what happened to Jericho? What happened to AI? That's going to happen to us. So we see that very clearly that the kings are hearing it and they gathered together. Now, historically, these kings, they have different city-states for a purpose, right? Because they don't like each other. They have differences, opinions, of views of different ideas. And so that is what's brought up these different colonies of families. But for this one instance, they're going to come together so they can finally defeat Israel. Or so they think. But in verse 3, we get introduced to Gibeon. Now, these guys, it's just, let me, let me kind of, let's jump down to 14. And I'll kind of tell what happened, and then we'll work our way back up. Joshua 9, verse 14. So the men of of Israel took some of their provisions, the men of Gibeon, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days, however, they made a covenant with them that they were their neighbors and they lived among them. So here's what's going on. Gibeon and the Gibeonites were terrified. And they were only about 25 miles away from where Israel was camped. And so they said, listen, here's what we're going to do. Let's make ourselves look like we traveled a really long distance. Let's get our wine skins and let's put animal acid, like stomach acid in there to make it look like they're deteriorating. Let's get our old ox and our old donkeys. Let's ride them over there. Let's make bread that looks moldy and is moldy and dry and crusty. And let's go over to the Israelites and say, hey, we're from this really far country. Uh, We're far away from you guys. Would you make peace with us? Because they knew Gibeon was probably the next place that they were going to come attack. It's only 25 miles away. They knew that the success that the Israelites have had. So Gibeon has this massive, uh, ooh, what was that? Uh, (laughs) They have this massive plan to get in there and just distract them and say, look, we're from this far country. Because Deuteronomy 20, and they might have known this, says that everyone within the promised land, you have to fight and kill everyone. But see, people on the borders, you can kind of let them live, work at making peace with them. So Gibeon and the Gibeonites come in and say, no, we're from the borders. Would you make peace with us? But the whole idea comes down to verse 14. So the men took the provisions from the Gibeonites, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. They did not ask counsel from the Lord. And when they found out, it was too late. They'd already made this covenant with them. So we talk about our blunders disqualify us, that, that we live on this side of the equation. We have to first take a look at our sins, take a look at our blunders, and figure out what's that's coming from. Where's the sin actually entering in? And I would argue, just as we see in Joshua, this because we don't actually seek the counsel of the Lord. And I'm talking big things, little things, all things. 
If we don't learn this, where counsel is not asked of God, sin is at hand, we're going to fall subject to sin. If we don't learn that where counsel is not asked from God, sin is at hand, we're going to fall subject to sin. It's going to happen. Because what we see with Joshua and how much of us do this is they probably took the scientific approach other than the spiritual approach. These guys come up, they look realistic, and they've gone to all these extremes to make it look like they've traveled from far countries. And Joshua goes, oh yeah, sure, okay. Everything looks right, everything smells right. Sure, you, you must be from that far away. And what we have failed to understand is we always look for sin. I don't know if you're like me, but we always look for sin to be this massive, huge thing that is out to devour us. Like it's this massive line that we're going to see sin from 10,000 miles away. And in a lot of instances, that's true. There are some instances where sin just looks like sin. And it's obvious, don't do that. Don't go there. I mean, we were driving home from vacation, my wife and I, my family, we pulled in this really sketch gas station. I don't know where we were. And across the street was big XXX signs. There wasn't any part of me that goes, man, they have free lunch. Family, you want to go grab some free lunch? No, sin is apparent, it's obvious, we know what that is, but it's the small things, it's the insignificant things that are actually out to get us. And we see this very clearly in Genesis, right? I mean, the original sin that started all of this, it's just an apple, it's just a fruit. Did God actually say? So we're always looking for sin to be this massive devouring lion that's out to get us, but most of the time, sin is just a slithering snake trying to deceive us. But we play games with sin. We, don't, we think, oh, this looks good. This is okay. It's not a big deal. They give me a nice, they said this. It must be true. Look, I mean, look at their clothes. Look at their animals. Look at their bread. And how quickly are we deceived? How quickly was Joshua and the Israelites deceived? Because we didn't seek counsel. They didn't seek counsel on the small things. And now who knows the ramifications of what happened? That their camp was just infested by the enemy. The ones that they were charged to destroy, now are living among them. What's going to happen? Is this a Trojan horse? Is this the end of the Israelites? Because Joshua, in this one instance, did not seek counsel from the Lord. Because of the age of the church and the demographics that we have, I do a bunch of weddings, and Bree and I do a lot of premarital counseling. And one of the sessions that we hit, um, they hit this, uh, one of the sessions, that, but the example I'm about to use is not them, just to clarify, because I don't want to like, oh yeah, y'all remember this, and then throw shade in, it wasn't them. But one of the things that we hit incredibly hard is communication. How much are you communicating? And when it comes into the terms of finances, we always ask the question, uh, how much can your significant other, how much can your partner spend without talking to the other one? So how, how much can you, if you go to the grocery store, or you go to Academy, you go to something, girls go buy tiddlywinks, whatever, how much can you spend without talking to the other one? The most massive number, I, there was a couple that said $2,000. And they're like half our age, not really, because that would mean they're 16. I almost passed out. Like, I thought they were joking. Oh, yeah, oh, she can just go, like, buy a $2,000 purse whenever she wants to, like, Bro, will you marry me? Like, I would love to be able to spend $2,000 whenever I want. Now, I'll just be straight. Bree and I have some things that we've worked on over time in our marriage. I feel like we have a healthy marriage. But here's one thing I think we do really well. And if you've ever spent time around us, we're constantly asking about every little thing. I mean, a lot of times we get ridiculed for, do you really have to ask permission to do that? 
Like, no, I'm not asking permission, but we're a team. I, I want her counsel. I want her insight. Now, I'm not saying if I'm going to go in and buy a Red Bull, like I have to ask permission, but I might text her because she knows, like, hey, that has become a behavior for you. you don't, you're, you're getting hooked to those things. You probably need to stop. And so we're constantly talking just to make sure we're on the same page about everything. And if I'm that obsessed with making sure I'm on the same page with my wife, how much more should we be obsessed about seeking counsel from God? the creator, the owner of everything. So where we fall short, where we fall in line with Joshua is that we just think, oh, God doesn't really care about this. God doesn't worry about that. He's not on the same page with this. I don't need to bother him about that. But the reality is we're making ourselves God. I don't need to seek counsel because I know better than him. Now, we might not ever say that, but our actions prove that. I don't need to seek counsel. I don't need to stop. I don't need to pray because I, I've got it, I've got this figured out. And we're about to see what happens with Joshua. So the Gibeonites have come in, they've deceived them, they're now living among them because he's made an oath. And this is where, if we're, if we're making this a Hollywood movie, this would be one of the scenes where everything starts to turn. Because if you've made an oath, if you've made a promise with the enemy, and they've deceived you, how then would you respond? So go down with me to verse 18. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had swore to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them, meaning the Gibeonites. This we will do to them, let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because the oath that we swore to them. And the leader said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. Now there's something massive here that I, even just reading this and studying this, I had, a, I had a pretty big problem with this in some different areas. Because we just see that, hey, what, one sin doesn't mean that I have to follow the sin for the rest of my life. Right, like I've fallen into this, I've made the mistake, now it's time for me to get out. We have such a foreign concept as American Christians to let our yes be yes and our no be no. That we've made a commitment, that we've made a covenant with these people before God, so we must stick to it. In our minds, man, like that was sin to begin with, so I can make another sin to get out. So we see one sin, and then it leads us to another sin, and then it leads us to another sin, but in our mind, we're justifying it all along the way. We see that two negatives don't work. It just keeps digging us down the hole. I know someone's going to come up after me and say, but you know two, wrong, two negatives make a positive, right? Go to another church. Don't bring that here. <laughs> just kidding. Welcome to the branch, right? I love you. But, but we do this, Right? But, but we were deceived. But if we would have known that information, but, but oh, but it's our sin that led us there. So just put yourself in, in the shoes of the Israelites real quick. People have deceived you. They've come up. They've lied to you. Uh, now you have this whole issue. Would you be justified in just destroying them right there? Would you be justified? I mean, for, for me, I think the first thing would be my pride, that I'm, I'm embarrassed now. I've got to cover myself. I've made a mistake. Now let me do the best I can to cover it up. Does that sound like us? That because of our sin, because we've messed up, let us do something to cover it, lest someone would know that we've now messed up. 
Or the other one is control, that now this thing is going to start to spin out of my control. I can't control the Gibeonites because they've lied to me, they've deceived me. I can't control this thing that I've opened up because of my sin. So I have to do everything I can to get this situation back under control, even if that means lying, even if that means deceiving, even if that means doing something I know is a sin, I've got to cover this initial sin up. I mean, it's like having a puppy that messes on the carpet and then tries to hide it with the carpet. We, we do ridiculous things to try to cover up our sin, to cover ourselves. But what do we see Joshua do? I've made a covenant before God, and I'm going to live with the consequences. I'm going to live with the ramifications. Two wrongs don't make a right in this situation. I'm in. And here's where we start to see this story turn. What is your response when you sin? What is your response when your sin has massive consequences? What is your response when your sin leads you somewhere where you didn't want it to go? We withdraw, we hide, we cover up, we keep everyone at a distance. But Joshua walks in having full confidence in God's faithfulness going, yes, I've sinned, but God can make this right. I mean, if we just start to understand a little bit of that, how much would that change our marriages? If we walked in and said, listen, I've sinned before you, I've sinned before the family, but I trust God with this more than my circumstances, more than my wisdom, so here it is. What if we handled that with our friendships, with our bosses, instead of trying to hide and run from our sin? What if we actually, like Joshua, trusted God and said, even though I've sinned, even though there's blunder here, God is still on his throne, God is still sovereign, God is still in control, so I'm trusting you with the circumstances. We start to walk from this hiding and deceiving ourselves from our sin. We start to walk this journey across the stage to new life. And because of Joshua's response, because that he laid everything, he honored his covenants, he honored his commitments, laid them before the foot of God. Let's see what happens. This is going to be a long passage, but let's read it together. Joshua 9, verse 22. Joshua 9, we're going to pick it up in verse 22. Joshua summoned them, being the Gibeonites, and said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying we are very far from you? When you dwell among us, you're literally 25 miles away from us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and you shall never be anything but the servants, cutters of wood, and drawers of water for the house of God. They answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord has commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, we feared greatly for our lives because of, the, because of you and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in the sight to do, us, do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel and did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place where he should choose. Now let's keep reading. Chapter 10. And I'm going to screw up some of these names, so let's have some grace. As soon as, oops, 
As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted to its destructions, doing to Ai its king what had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the rural cities, and it was because it was greater than Ai, and its men were warriors. Jump down to verse 5. Then the five kings of the Amorites, king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jermoth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. So here's what we need to start to understand. That was a lot. Let's kind of get through it. But we, if you have any church background, we've heard this story over and over and over that Joshua's brothers sold him, or jo, excuse me, that's Joshua. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, and there's this great story at the end where his brothers and his family come because they're literally starving to death, and Joseph, who's now a high leader in Egypt, gives them food and takes care of them, provides for them. And Joseph says in Genesis 50:20, what you meant for evil, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And we see that and we rejoice in that and we celebrate in that. But church, do you think that God can take your sins and your blunder and make something beautiful out of it? Do we really think that our sin, that we would say, disqualifies us, that that we're going to crawl in a hole and die, we're just going to live right here, do we actually believe that God can take our messes and turn them into something beautiful for his glory? One of the things that really, as I was talking to Daniel, just processing this in my own life, I stumbled upon this art. It's really weird, uh, but it's where these guys and girls will take trash and turn it into art. Have you seen this before? All right, just just real quick, because I just love these. Um, This, can you see the dragon? I'm not a huge dragon guy. I don't like, but this is made out of like Coke cans. Is that not incredible? So the Cokes that you drink or whatever beverages you drank last night, um, they are used to put this dragon together. That was a beer joke if you didn't get it. (laughs) There we go. All right, this one, uh, Kurt Cobain. Do do y'all know what that thing on the top is? Millennials and Gen Z, just curious. That's called a cassette tape. All right, my first cassette tape was Alan Jackson going down on the Chattahoochee. It was incredible. It gets hot down there. Wait, I'm not done? Where are you going? I'm talking about Alan Jackson. Um, so Kurt Cobain, right, made out of the inside of tape. So this is everyday trash have turned into this beautiful artwork. Uh, the next one, Albert Einstein. Where's my mom at? Debbie, this is for you. You like Einstein. There he is, made out of trash. Don't say I don't love you, mom. Next one. Uh, this one just blew my mind. Those are coat hangers. A grill, wow, right? Okay, so you'll respond to a gorilla, but you don't give me an amen anywhere through my sermon. I see how it is. Gorilla made out of coat hangers. So, so here's the question that we have to wrestle with, and we're about to see the proof. Can your sin be used for God's glory? Can your shortcomings be used for God's glory? Can your blunders, can your mess-ups be actually used for God's glory? We're about to see how Joshua, even though he was deceived, he did not seek counsel from the Lord because he was honoring in his commitment. We're going to see what happened. The first we see that even though the Gibeonites deceived them, and even though Joshua did not seek counsel from the Lord, they are brought into the fold. How many millions of people are now following after God, part of the chosen people, because of Joshua's sin? 
He did not seek counsel from the Lord, but now we have new brothers and sisters that are serving the congregation daily because of Joshua's sin. So can God use Joshua's sin for his glory? Yes. The next thing we see that the Israel army has grown and their supplies have grown because of Gibeonites and their base. So all the warriors that were part of Gibeon are now part of Israel. All the attack methods, all the walls, the border walls that are now part of Gibeon are now the Israelites. All their spheres, swords, everything that was part of Gibeon is now part of Israel. So their army has just incredibly grown by men and warriors and equipment. Can God use the sin of Joshua for his glory? Yes. And third, we see that now the kings have rallied against them. So there are five kings, there are five city-states, there are five wars that were about to take place, and now there's only one. Do you know how many men would have died in every single one of those wars? Do you know how much equipment would have been used up in every single one of those wars? But now that we're five separate wars, five separate battles, now there's going to be one massive one. Oh, and they get to go inside Gibeon. They get to use all the resources. They get to use the castle. They get to use the walls for their protection. They have somewhere to fight. They have a home base now. So are we starting to see this picture? Are we starting to wrestle with the sin that you walked into this morning? The sin that you are burying in your soul right now. The thing that you think you cannot confess to anyone because of the shame that would be brought above you. There's a happenstance, there's a, not a happenstance, there's a truth that God is going to use that for his own glory. If we, like Joshua, say, I've done this, I've made this mistake, but I'm going to stay committed to God through this process, that this one sin is not going to lead me into multiple sins, but I'm going to confess this, and I'm going to bring it before God, and I'm going to leave it at his feet, that he can and will use your sin for his glory. You know where I think the, the worst part of the story is, if I can just be real honest? If you go back to verse 18, you know who Joshua's greatest uh, adversaries were? His own people. His own people were the ones that were murmuring about him and the leadership. His own people were the ones that were throwing him under the bus. I heard a quote a couple years ago that I've just filed on the back of my mind that the church is the only army that shoots at its wounded. So why is it that we feel like we can't be honest with our sin, that we can't believe this truth, that God can use my sin for his glory? Most often than not, it's the people to your left and the people to your right. It's not the world that's watching that you're afraid of their ridicule or shame. It's the Christians that are sitting right next to us right now that make us believe that we can't be honest about our shortcomings and our sins. So then we hide from it. We run from it. We try to cover it up. Because if the other Christians knew what I was dealing with, what I was struggling with, what would they say? What would they do? So what pushes us more into sin, more into hiding, more into I can't be honest about my shortcomings? It's not the gospel. It's not the world. More often than that, it's the church, it was the Israelites that were murmuring against Joshua. I mean, Paul is crystal clear in Galatians 6 that if a brother is caught in sin, we should restore them with a spirit of gentleness. 
Jesus was very clear in John 8. If you have not yet sinned, cast the first stone. But none of us can. None of us are that way. We haven't, so we should be able to relate to one another. Say, brother, sister, I get it. I've been there. And I'm not going to discount it. I'm not going to dismiss it. That was sin. We have to call sin, sin. But God can use this for your glory. If we can be honest about our shortcomings and failures, then the church around us rally around, pick us up with the gospel and say, God has sent that Jesus for that sin. God has covered that sin. That sin is forgiven. Get up and walk in a new identity. Get up and walk in a new creation. How much different would that look for us? I mean, that's the purpose of DNA groups for us, that we would have that safe place we could come and lay all of our sins on the table. So would you pray for me? Would you encourage me in this? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive it. But do we believe that? Do we walk in that? Are we constantly trying to hide and cover our sins up? So here's what we see. God is using Joshua's sin for his glory. It's growing, it's happening, and then the battle scene takes place. The five kings and their armies come to Gibeon. The Israelites send out their people by night, get up there, get ready to fight. They're going to run all through the night, there's 25 miles, and then they're going to fight all day. Anyone else want to do that? No sleep, run, 25 miles, fight all day. Don't sign me up for that. But here's what the Lord said to Joshua, verse 8. Chapter 10, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I've given them into your hands. Not a man shall stand before you. God's faithfulness, God's justice, and God's sovereignty on display. And here's how God is about to use all their sin for his glory. Verse 10. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, all the five kings' army, threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Esekah and Megadah. Man, that was great. That raise that I asked for earlier, y'all can take that away. My bad. Verse 11, and they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Betharon. The Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Asica, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. All right, it's about to get crazier. Verse 12, at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord had given the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ahalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies." Is it not written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for a whole day? There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of man and the Lord fought for Israel. So can God use your sin for his glory? Yes, that's all he does. There's no other narrative besides that. If we were the point, then God would be an idolater, but he's going to use our sin so that he can be more glorified. So God walks into this battle, confuses all the kings and all the leaders. He throws hailstones down from heaven that kills more than the Israelites. And then when Joshua prays for the sun to stop so they could continue to destroy all the armies, he answers it. But Yahweh, God is mentioned 11 times in this passage, isn't he? 
This is God's fight. This is God's battle. This is his victory. This is his win. This isn't Joshua. This isn't the Israelites. This isn't about them. This is about God using their sin to make a name for himself. So what does it look like for us then to walk from this side where we're hiding our sin, we're covering our sin? We're never going to see miracles like this. We're never going to see God show out like this when we're more worried about our reputation and our namesake than his. But when we start to say, God, we have sinned, we have messed up, but if you can use this for your glory, do it. And we start walking in this freedom and walking in the newness of life, we start to see crazy things like this happen. You want to see miracles happen in front of you? Just walk in obedience to God. Be more concerned about his name, his renown, and his glory than yours, and I trust me, you will see it. But where we don't, where we fall short of that, where we don't see hailstones and confusion, we don't see these things taking place is because we're still caught up. God can't use me. My sin has disqualified me. There's nothing he can do. So I'm just going to sit here, pout, hide, and keep my distance from everyone. Do you believe that even in your sins and your blunder, God can use it for his glory? because that's clearly what we see here. He fights, he wins. Let's submit ourselves to that. Now we've read about these five kings that are coming together, that are rallying against, and now they've just been all whooped. And what what do cowards naturally do? They run, right? So they're watching all these people get slaughtered. So all these five kings go, hey, bro, you want to leave? Like, this is kind of embarrassing for me. Yeah, let's, let's go. Let's go see if we can find a nice cave to hide in. So they do. The kings run away, get into a cave. The Israelites chase them, put a large stone in front of the cave until they can be done fighting. And then Joshua and his leaders go up to this cave. They roll the stone away and have this encounter with the kings, with the five kings that just tried to destroy them. So jump down to verse 24. I'm telling you, things are about to get a little wacky, but, man, God will be glorified. And when they brought the kings, those kings, out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with them, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks, and Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against who you fight. And we see they take these kings and they slaughter them. Now, I I just kind of have a confidence radar in me uh, I, I just want to stay clear of people that are trying to be conceited or act like they have all that together. When you first read this, doesn't it kind of sound like Joshua and his men are just maybe being a little conceited? Okay, let's put the kings on the ground. These are royalty. They haven't been on the ground. They're a whole kingship. Let's get all their robes dirty. Let's lay them on the ground. And then I'm going to invite all the men, all the soldiers, you walk by and you put your feet on their throats. I mean, is Joshua and his men taking it a little too far here? I don't think so, and here's why. Verse 25, For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. If you go all the way back to Genesis 3, we see a snapshot of this. Right after sin has entered into the world and God is now reciting the ramifications, the consequences of this sin, Genesis 3.15 puts it this way. 
I will put an enemy between you and the woman and your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God at this point is talking to the snake. He's saying, because of what you've done, because you've deceived them, I'm going to make you two at war, make you two at odds. And yes, serpent, you will bruise their heel, but they will bruise your head. And what we see here, what theologians call this, is the proto-evangelium. This is the first gospel. What God is saying is, yes, sin will attack your heel, but one day there will be one that will come that will destroy all sin with this heel. He will crush it forever. And we see this, Psalm 110.1 says, the Lord says to my Lord, God says to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Romans 16.20 puts it this way, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So what Joshua is doing with all these leaders is he's saying, put your feet here as a symbolism that there will one day come a man that will crush all the enemies beneath your feet. This is not you. We know that Joshua translated New Testament is Jesus. So this is a foreshadowing of us that there will one come a day where all sin will be destroyed, not at your heels, but because Christ in you. You don't have to worry about sin. You don't have to fret over sin because your sin will be crushed. You can count on that because Christ will take care of it for you. So we're hiding over on this sin. Joshua could be hiding over here, but he goes as far over here, borderline conceited, puts his heels on the feet or the throats of his enemies and said, there's a victory here because Christ is going to do this for me. We see it in Genesis. We see it in Revelation. Jesus is going to be the ultimate defeater of all sin, of all punishment, of all consequences. So we should have some confidence in us. Yeah, I've sinned. But you know what Christ has done for me? Yeah, I've sinned, but you know that God can use this for his glory? Yeah, I've sinned, but, but this is not over. That Christ is defeated and one day will finally defeat all enemies and place him under his feet. And that Christ is in me. So this sin that is seemingly disqualified, I can be made new. I'm being made new. I'm being transformed every single day. There's nothing that can touch me. But we have to choose, we have to say, okay, God, I know that I've fallen in sin, I know that I've disgraced you in your name, but I also know that Christ has forgiven me, that I'm a new creation, that that old Gabe is gone, that new Gabe has come. Because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, taking our sin, taking our consequences, we can walk from this side to this side knowing that we've been made new. So this is when Paul can start to say wacky things like I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, then who's strong? Christ, because Christ is the ultimate victory. Christ is the ultimate warrior. Christ is the ultimate one that destroys all sin, punishment, darkness, and death. So we get to walk in that. So flip with me as we end to Romans 8. I just want all of us to read this together. Because I think there's some of us that have been hiding far too long from the realities of our sin. We, we feel disqualified that God can never use us because of that person or that person, what I've heard said about this or that. God can't really use me. I can't really be a son or daughter. If, if you knew what I did, Gabe, there would be no way that you would say God could still use me. And I'm pleading with you, that is the prerequisite for you being used. 
If you think you have all your stuff figured out, you've got it all together, God will not use you. He cannot use you because your pride's in the way. But the more we understand and boast in our weaknesses, Christ becomes strong. So let us read, as we transition into communion, let us read Romans 8, 31 through 39 together. You don't have to read it out loud, but I just want us to see this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ and Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you. Nothing is holding you back. If Christ is for you, who can be against you? So it's time for us to acknowledge our sin to be bold in that, to be bold in our shortcomings, to admit that we have been deceived, that the sin has entered into us and we have been deceived, we have lied, we've tried to cover that up, but I'm gonna boast all the more in that because Christ has already died for that sin, that God is for us. He's gonna have all of our enemies as footstools. We are untouchable because Christ is for us. So let us walk in confidence, church. As we take communion this morning, let us walk in confidence that if God is for us, no one could be against us. That our sin is not disqualified us, but it has now qualified us to be sons and daughters of God. And please listen, if you're hiding sin, church, if there's something you feel like you have not been able to talk to, talk about because of the fear of what people may say, that this sin, this thing that you've been struggling with has totally disqualified you, please read the word. That is not what God says. There'll be elders present over here to pray. But as baptized believers, we get to stop and rejoice and celebrate. Because our sin has not disqualified us. It has qualified us to be sons and daughters. And now we are more than conquerors through Christ. So let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful. Father, there's, there's no framework for this anywhere else in the world. There's no framework, there's no idea that we have that we can boast in our sin, that we can be honest about our shortcomings and people are still gonna love us unconditionally. All we know is that if we've sinned, if we've messed up, we must keep it in. We must hide from that, we must run from that. So Father, thank you for the example of Joshua that although he sinned by not seeking your counsel, he trusted you that you can take his sin, his blunder, and use it for your glory, your name, and your renown, and we see it take place. Father, let, us, let that be our story. God, can you take our sins, our mistakes, and our blunders and still use it for your name and your renown and your glory? 
And if you can, Father, will you do it? That we're going to confess our sin, that we're going to come run into you. We're tired of hiding and pretending like we're someone that we're not. And church, for those around us, would we be encouraging and restore them with spirit of gentleness? Would we see the gospel on display through these lives that are being transformed? Would we understand that perfection is not ours, that victory is not ours? It's his. So we're going to lean into, we're going to trust, we're going to run to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured death so that we can become sons and daughters. He took the penalty. He took the price. And now it's time for us to walk in this newness of life. So church, would you examine your heart this morning as we get ready to walk into a time of communion? Would you think, consider, ponder, and pray? Where do you feel like your sin is hiding you? Where do you feel like your sin is keeping you from communion with the Father? What would it look like for us to be honest about our sins and our shortcomings? Do you have that kind of community around you? Or you can pick up the phone or over dinner, you can say, man, here's, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm dealing with. And you're going to have a community that says, but that's not who you are. That's your old self. Put on that new creation. Christ has already defeated those enemies on the cross. Christ has defeated that sin on the cross. Walk in your newness. Pursue holiness. Run for it. So as we take communion this morning, maybe for the first time in a long time, you just need to be brutally honest with yourself before God that there are sins that you've just given up to feed on you've raised the white flag saying I cannot and I will not defeat this sin so I've stopped trying would you confess that at the feet of Jesus that's not what defines you it's Christ that defines you would you run into community this week not prolong it you get into DNA this week talk about your sins and your struggles so that you may be healed and more than anything would you stop believing the lie of the serpent whispering in your ear that your sin has disqualified you that because of what you've done you can no longer serve Christ you can no longer walk in freedom that this is just the rest of your life that is a lie from the pit of hell Would you believe as Joshua believed, as the apostles believed, as the heroes of our faith believed, that even though we sin, God will use it for his glory, for his name and his renown. So church, when you're ready, after you've prayed and examined your heart, communion will be open. And what a time to rejoice and remember what Christ has done for us. That even when we were enemies of him, he died for us so that our story wouldn't end in sin, 
but it would end that we are more than conquerors through Christ. Whenever you're ready, communion will be open.